And we're back, the biggest episode we've ever recorded, Marvel vs. Marvel. It's been uh, three, three and a half years to finally reach this moment of um, Thanos, the Infinity Gems, the Infinity Stones, against uh, all the heroes of the MCU, a mega episode. In our first part, we laid out the table, the... Um, we had the uh, the muggly mind of Will Preston, how he <laughs> views the oncoming Infinity War. We heard from all of you wonderful people out there and the emotional reactions that you all had to this kind of roller coaster movie. The thrills, the spills, the ups, the downs. That weepy ending Ooh. that everyone talks about. Um, we uh, let you know that you can... Uh, Head on over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel in order to get access to all our bonus shows, including our deep dive into the comic book stories that inspired this movie. We took a look behind the scenes at how the movie was made, put together, the journey of Marvel Studios to this moment. We also went behind the page to look at the creation of Thanos and how the Infinity Gauntlet itself got started. We've really laid a good table, and it's almost time for us to kick off with our deep dive, it just remains for us to pay special homage to the World Crash Wrecking Crew, the, the supporters of ours on Patreon that dig the deepest, that give the most, that make these massive shows possible. Um, without them, we wouldn't be able to commit all the hours that we do. You can see the runtime on this. You know how long this episode is. You know how many hours of research, writing, recording, and editing me and Will and our team of just us put in to make these episodes and it's all thanks to uh, the team on Patreon, and most especially on Patreon, Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Bas De Beer, Sam, Bindi, Sue P, Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q, and David Fan. World-class wrecking crew, get it done. They put the cheddar where it needs to go, which is in our pockets. Uh, Will, do the deep dive, baby. Let's press play. In deep space, the spaceship carrying the survivors of Asgard's destruction is intercepted by hostile forces. As many Asgardians lay dead, Thanos, along with his lieutenants Ebony Moore, Carl Obsidian, Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive, demand that Loki hand over the Tesseract, threatening to kill Thor if he does not. Thanos brandishes the Infinity Gauntlet with one of the six Infinity Stones, the Power Stone, set in place. After a moment of silence, Loki tries to bluff Thanos, claiming to hold no love for his brother and telling him to kill anyway. The space tyrant unleashes the Power Stone on Thor, causing the Thunder God immense pain. So a bit of trivia for you. Thanos starts this movie with the Power Stone, but we never see how he gets hold of it. Apparently earlier versions of the script had a 45-minute battle between Thanos decimating the planet of Xandar and killing all the Nova Corps before stealing the power store from them. The, uh, this sequence was basically cut for time, which makes sense. You did, mention, you did mention early, didn't you, that there was another version where he starts with such and such a stone. Yeah, it's, um, I do remember thinking uh, at the time, where did he get this stone from? Yeah, um, I, I, I'm looking back at the notes and saying, oh, wait, he didn't really cover that. It just, oh, he just has it, you know. Mm. So... Since we don't get to see him get the Bowers Stone in this film, 
How does Thanos get it in the comics? Does he steal it from Xandar? Does he kill all the Nova Corps? Is there a big <clears throat> thing, or is it not? the <clears throat> so right <laughs> the mm. the soul gems, as they were known at the time, mm. are held by the elders of the universe. Okay. Now, the elders of the universe, we've touched on them in the past, like the Collector. Mm. Remember we talked about the Collector? The elders of the universe are the last surviving remaining members of the original uh, races of the universe from the dawn of time, right after the Big Bang. Because death is strangely kind of maudlin, she preserves the last remaining members of each of the original species of the galaxy hmm. and does not welcome them to her realm so as kind of like a keepsake as kind of like a uh, a memento of the original kind of birth of the universe and over the eons since the the the, the, the dawn of time they have grown into quite cosmically kind of like gifted and powerful beings each with kind of a different speciality Mm. Um, they kept trying to kill Galactus <laughs> um, And one of the things they did Was gather the soul gems And give themselves a bit of power To try and kill Galactus Didn't go very well But each of the elders of the universe Had one of these soul gems But they didn't understand The true nature of them Okay In the Thanos quest Which is where Thanos goes about To collect all the, uh, all the soul gems He... Learns the the true nature of these gems um, and their true origins, okay. and he's the only person in the galaxy um, that knows their true nature and knows how vastly powerful they are. So the elders of the universe have these gems because they're they give them a little bit of extra power, mm. so they believe, but they're not actually doing anything proper with them. Um, and he tracks down what he believes to be the uh, the power stone, the power gem. Um, to one of the, <laughs> yeah, I'm just um, imagine this. There's a big blue guy with a red, flowing red locks, and he is called the champion. This rings and, a bell. Does it? I don't know why. I don't know why that ring. No, I'm thinking of the gladiator, aren't I? X Men. You are. He's got blue skin and he's got a big but, red mohawk. Yes. I mean, at first I was thinking of Yondu, but then I was like, hmm, different dude, different, different dude. dude. The champion's much bigger. He's an elder of the universe. Um, he, his whole thing is he likes a fight. <laughs> He's like your uncle after a few too many Guinness. He's like um, Russell Crowe, right? Making he, uh, movies, writing songs, fighting around the world. A little song from Will about Russell Crowe. That was nice. Sorry, South Park um, reference. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the the champion's whole thing. Like, each of the elders of the universe has a different like thing they're really into. A different hobby. Well, it's actually, it, it's more like a it's like a fundamental part of their nature. The champions one is fighting, proving himself to be the greatest warrior in the universe. Um, so he's constantly kind of like seeking out battle and putting himself up against the 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 biggest challenge he can find. And he has on his forehead a red stone, which he thinks makes him a bit more powerful. Um, he does not know the full extent of what this is. Um, so Thanos rocks up to this planet. Um, the ch he knows the champion is subconsciously tapping into the the power gem's might, um, and he challenges the champion 
but just completely avoids direct combat with him. And it just <laughs> enrages the champion. Um, he keeps teleporting away. He uses his force fields. Um, he does all sorts of things to drive this guy like th- through the roof. And then eventually the champion like leaps incredibly high in the sky. Um, and he comes down with all the force of the power stone to kill Thanos. Um, Thanos just teleports away. Uh, and he tricks the champion into destroying the planet he's on. <laughs> How do you do the, that? What, the champ, the, but he hits the ground with such impact from <laughs> orbit, using all the power. Like he doesn't know what he's tapping into and how powerful he's right, strong gotcha, he is. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Wow. He cracks the tectonic plates. It kills everyone on this planet. The planet falls apart, and. But the champion doesn't die because he's an elder of the universe and death will not take him. They, it's a gift that she gives to the elders. So what we see is Thanos with his... He's got this sci-fi bit of... This kind of platform that he flies around time and space on. And he's floating through space and he finds the champion clinging on to a bit of debris of the planet going, <laughs> you can't leave me here. And he goes, of course I can. I can just leave. I don't care about winning a fight. I'm just going to go now. Bye. And the champion's like, no, you can't. I'll, I'll. He goes, no, you won't die. You'll just stay here for probably centuries before anyone ever finds you. And you won't die because you're an elder of the universe and you'll just float around and you'll never get to do anything ever again. Bloody no hell. one's going to rescue you. Uh, he goes, you've got to take me to the nearest planet. You've got to take me to the nearest planet. And Thanos says, uh, okay, give me that gem on your forehead that you think is uh, pointless and meaningless and means nothing to you. And he goes, fine, take the gem, take the gem. And he goes, thank you very much. That's the first one. And then he does, to his credit, tow the champion to the nearest inhabitable planet. But he doesn't teleport him to the surface. He drops him from orbit. (laughs) And he flies off thinking, he might survive that. He might not. (laughs) I'm just thinking of him clinging like, ah. Yeah, and he did it to him. The whole fight is him beating himself because Thanos is like, that. Can't, this guy is just a, like, I don't know what he thinks he is, but he's not like a great warrior. And Thanos, like, he he just, uh, yeah. He blasts Thanos. So one, one thing he does is, like, the champion charges towards him to get him, and Thanos keeps him at bay with this blast of energy. Mm. And the champion... Like, step by step, you see panel after panel, he's able to put so much force into taking another step through this beam of energy, Ooh. and he's getting closer and closer and closer. And at the last second, Thanos turns the beam of energy off, and the champion falls forward, and Thanos just nuts him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's clever. I so love his, that. His I love tactic that. in the first bit is, is really quite nice. And that's then, yeah, good. Tricks him into destroying the planet he's on, and he's just screwed. That's amazing. Seeing that his bluff has not worked, Loki demands Thanos to stop his torture. Thor tells Thanos that they no longer have the Tesseract, that it was destroyed along with Asgard. The next second, Loki summons the Tesseract into his palm, revealing he manages to steal it away from Asgard before it was destroyed. As Loki approaches with the Tesseract, Thanos muses at the gods' confidence. But this isn't entirely misplaced, as Loki tells Thanos, we have the Hulk. 
Suddenly, the Hulk emerges from the bowels of the ship and charges at Thanos. The two mighty beings fight while the lieutenants stand back and watch. With the Power Stone in his grasp, Thanos is easily able to overpower the mighty green monster. After a vicious beating, the Hulk lies defeated on the floor. It's such a tense and somber start, not to mention seeing the Hulk get bested in hand-to-hand combat. Did you really feel... Like because you haven't, you hadn't. We we none of us had experienced any kind of like anything. All we knew about Thanos is he kept sending bad guys to go and get the stones. We didn't know anything else about him. Yeah. So it, it did feel to you tense and dangerous and deadly. It's it's like knowing Hannibal Lecter's got out of his cell and you're going, oh, mm. what can he do? What's his true capability? <clears throat> and then you see, and then you see, well. We're going to film Hannibal. I'm not a big fan. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know they could do that. Wow, they can do that. You know, it's like, you know, you hear stuff about someone being powerful or something and then you actually see it. And that go, build-up's important, isn't it? Yeah, build-up's important. But, I mean, oh, God, he fights Hulk. What a way to kick off this movie. Have they ever fought in the comics, by the way? The first time they fight is in the Infinity Gauntlet comic. Um, Thor and Drax team up. Uh, and this is Drax, because comic book Drax mm. is vastly different to movie Drax. Is he, he is, in fact, no, not funny slightest, no. Um, he is, as we've said before, Space Hulk. He's <laughs> a big, green, muscular monster that is incredibly strong, uh, can fly and shoot energy beams, but he's very, very dim-witted. Um, but... They're tasked with, you're the two strongest, go and beat the crap out of uh, Thanos. And they jump in before, and they hammer him. And Thor is is pounding Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet, and he's actually talking about how he can't believe this is the guy everyone's been so afraid of when it's proving so easy to him Mm. to beat Thanos' brains in. Um, But this is a Thanos that wields all the power of the Infinity Gems. So the very next second, Hulk finds himself shrunk down to the size of a tiny insect, and the fight is over. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Um, they've clashed a few times since then when Thanos didn't have any Infinity Gems. Mm. Um, and the Hulk has never won a single fight. Wow. He's always bested by Thanos. Um, and it is a bit like, in that fight with um, the champion... Mm. He talks about how fighting the champion is like fighting the Hulk. Incredibly strong, but nothing between his ears. <laughs> and he says, I've, I've always avoided fighting the Hulk, because what would be the point? Um, and then whenever they fight, Thanos just... You know, it's the Genghis Khan thing. He's a, he's a, a tact, tactical master. Mm. Um, he's, and he's incre- like, so they, have a, they even have a fight. One, th- one time Thanos fights Hulk and Banner... In some sort of like psychic virtual reality powered by the mind. And you think, ah, Bruce Banner's gonna. Nope. Thanos <laughs> proves that he is not just a better fighter than Hulk, he's much smarter than Bruce Banner. Because he is an, from a species far beyond humans and is a genius at. He's a genius compared to the rest of his species, and his species are beyond humans. So Banner, no, he he just trounces them. Wow. Seeing his fellow Avenger bested so quickly, Thor tries to take on Thanos, but is quickly subdued and restrained by Ebony Maw. 
using his telekinesis to wrap Thor in scrap metal. Heimdall, not yet succumbed to his grave injuries, uses the Bifrost to send Hulk to Earth before Thanos can kill them all. As Thor screams and threatens Thanos, Ebony Moore gags him before presenting his master with the second Infinity Stone, the Tesseract. Crushing the cosmic cube, Thanos recovers the Infinity Stone within and binds it to his gauntlet. Knowing there are two more stones on Earth, he orders his lieutenants to go, but they are interrupted by Loki, who offers his services in helping Thanos find them. However, as Loki glances at Thor, the Thunder God notices that Loki's words aren't sincere as he sees his brother carrying a hidden blade. As Loki claims his undying fidelity, he tries to use the misdirection to stab Thanos in the throat, but without even flinching. Thanos stops Loki in place with his powers before lifting Loki off the floor by his throat and snapping his neck. Seeing his brother die, Thor struggles to scream under his gag. Thanos throws the lifeless body of Loki to the floor, claiming, no resurrections this time, and then uses the gauntlet to teleport him and his lieutenants away. <coughs> As Thor cries over the lifeless body of Loki, their spaceship explodes. This was quite interesting for me because, like, seeing Loki, like one of the evil characters, die like this was qu- still quite shocking. I also it's 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 heightened because what they've done is they've delivered to you Loki's redemption. Yeah, they don't kill him yeah. until you we've we've all kind of fully embraced him again after Ragnarok, mm. and then this moment where he is doing whatever he can to save his brother and sacrifices himself and all of that. Um, stands up for his brother and then gets killed because, like, it's all that's the time to you get the maximum impact from Loki's death when we've embraced him again and we've we love a good redemption story, don't we? Yeah. Uh, and then it's taken away from us. Um, yeah, I think it's also I think also like a part of this which you should never ever pay attention to things online ever except for this <laughs> podcast, which I guess is online. But yeah. all that stuff of Thanos was right. Right, you know, and Thanos Thanos is actually the hero of the movie. No. no. Um aside from all of that, in terms, which is a philosophical debate we can have later on. Throughout throughout this movie and the next one, Thanos is constantly taunting and mocking. He presents as a bully the whole time. Mm. So he might have this philosophy that we'll get to of I'm not really the bad guy, but he doesn't just he 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 kills, you know. He's got that smirk on his face as he kills Loki and says, "No more resurrections this time." You know, there's that kind of angle to it. I mean, not all the time, but uh, yeah, I don't no, know. No, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. God, it's it's very sad end for Loki, especially for saying no resurrections. But has he ever actually died a true death in the comics? Oh, Loki. <laughs> yes, but there's always something else at play with Loki. There's something else at play here, sort of. Oh yeah. Uh which we get in the next movie. There's it it like the idea that it's the end for Loki. Mm. There is though. The original version of Loki is killed by a monster known as the Sentry uh during the siege of Asgard. Mm. 
uh, Loki had, had allied himself with Norman Osborn um, and was doing some very evil and selfish things uh, that lead to the destruction of Asgard um, and was going to kill all the people, including Thor and everybody. Loki has this crisis of conscience at the very last minute, um, turns on Osborn, tries to help his brother, but is incinerated by the century Oof. and dies. And that is it. The original version of Loki, who's been around since Marvel in the 1960s, dies a very real death. Um, much like this, he tries to redeem himself at the end, but he dies. But even in death, Loki does have a plan. <laughs> that makes a- me, even in death, he has a plan. That makes me think of that brass eye quote. Yes, the, short, the effects of a heroin overdose are lethal. Yes, in the short term, but there's been no research into the long term effects. Right. Okay. Sorry. That's what came to mind. <laughs> so <clears throat> he doesn't come back from the dead, but yeah. another version of, of, of Loki emerges a preteen child without the oh. memories of his older self, his soul cleansed and clean of the corruption of his previous incarnation a separate entity to the original Loki. And this kid Loki loves and adores his big brother Thor, much like the original Loki had done as a child. And this is a way, it's it's presented as Loki's final act was to sort of give himself a second chance in life, yeah. even though he was going to die. There is a version of him that could try and be good, right? Mm. Um and he he uh, works hard to try and save Asgard and help Thor several times. Admittedly, always by using duplicitous, underhanded manipulation, not like his brother, to save the day. But Kid Loki, Will, was not alone. He was accompanied at all times by a raven called Ikol. And ah. Ikol the raven, whilst being nothing more than a talking bird, Ikol... Eichol's soul was a copy of the original Loki's soul. <laughs> Are you telling me that his crow is his backup hard drive? Yeah. I mean, it was more than it was like <laughs> the um, the voice of the devil on his shoulder all the time. Yeah. Why yeah. don't you just do this? Why don't you manipulate them? Why don't you betray them? Why don't you do this? Why don't you? And it, it, it was a nice story of him trying to have conversations with his older self and we as the audience would see, oh, that's what the real, the original Loki would do. Mm. And we'd see kid Loki trying to trying to change things. Um, but the original Loki, who died, had set plans in motion. Knowing the inevitable nature of child Loki, he put all these things in place so that the innocent and pure version of himself gets to a point of real tragedy and danger where Kid Loki has no choice in order to save Asgard and the Nine Realms, but to sacrifice himself and allow Ikol, the raven, the copy, to possess his body and essentially become reborn as a new version of Loki. Wow. And since that's a copy of the original Loki's soul, this new Loki is very similar to the original... But he is a completely separate entity. So there is, there is, there is a. a re, it's like if someone died and is replaced by a clone, it's a real death. Yeah. 
right? If you die but upload your mind to a computer and it rebuilds you as a robot, the original person died. So Loki does genuinely die, but Loki's got tricks. He's got a faded photocopy in the form of a child. In no, his- in the form of, an I- of, a, of a raven. A raven, yes, yeah, sorry. Because I'm thinking a child. Ugh, I'm confused. Anyway, in the solar system, the Bifrost zooms past the sun, towards Earth, and over New York City. At the Sanctum Santorum, Stephen Strange and Wands bickering is interrupted when Bruce Banner, transformed back from the Hulk, crashes through the roof and lands in the staircase. Staring up in panic at Strange and Wong, Bruce blurts out, Thanos is coming. And that's how we kind of kick off. That's the opening to this to this movie. You get the bomb, 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 bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And the title sequence yeah. comes up, the great music comes in. Yeah. What do we what do we think here about I mean it's it really sets the villain up this opening, doesn't it? It sets the film up in terms of intelligence, in terms of power, in terms of absolute ruthlessness. And then <clears throat> I always remember the look of uh, Mark Ruffalo looking in panic amongst the wood and debris saying, Thanos is coming. And it's like, it's it's a very scary thing to hear. You're like, oh, to, no. To take the strongest Avenger and to absolutely decimate him with no problem is 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 one hell of a way of really putting over your bad guy building yep. them up and and letting you know like in the previous avengers movies when you need some a big heavy hitting t- to do the big fighting and to smash the bad guy you bring in the hulk and you know he smashed loki he smashed ultron in this movie it's flipped. It's reversed. It doesn't happen that way. Mm. Um, it's a hell of a strong way of of opening uh, of opening our movie, right? Incredibly, incredible. I mean, sets the tone of dread almost as well, knowing that an enemy, a powerful enemy, is coming, is on mm. his way. In Central Park, Tony Stark and Pepper Potts discuss their future, with Tony revealing his dream that he and Pepper had a child. As Tony promises Pepper no more surprises and kisses her. The romantic moment is interrupted when Stephen Strange emerges from a portal and tells Stark to come with him right away. The fate of the universe is at stake and Tony's face drops when he sees a frightened and long-lost banner emerge from the portal. At the Sanctorum, one explains to Tony Stark the creation of the Infinity Stones at the beginning of the Big Bang, sending each one of these elemental crystals hurtling across the universe. Each Infinity Stone represents a single aspect of the universe. Space, reality, power, soul, mind, and time. At the mention of time, Strange reveals the Ayavagamoto that contains the shining green time stone. So, I know there's differences between the comic Infinity Stones and what they are in the uh, in the film. Uh, is is Wong's explanation for the creation of them same with the comics though? Hmm. Not well. There's 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 more than one explanation. Hmm. So in the in the when we first learn about the Infinity Stones, it is in Thanos Quest, hmm. where Thanos, in the realm of the dead, stares into the Infinity Pool, and hmm. kind of loses his mind looking for secrets and truths about the universe and yeah. about something he's already encountered called the soul gems 
The soul gems are very powerful artifacts, but he learns their true nature and uh, that they should more accurately be called the infinity gems and that they do represent time, power, mind. So all these different... There's not just the soul gem, there's a mind gem, there's a time gem, there's a power gem. Um, and what he learns there is that um, the, the, all the secrets of the stone includes their origin was that <clears throat> before, the, before this universe, there was a nemesis is the name. The only living thing that existed within any and all realities. Um, but it was incredibly lonely because it was the only thing that existed. And so Nemesis put an end to itself, killed itself, burned itself. From its ashes arose the multiverse, oh. including the 616 universe. And the six infinity gems were the reincarnated form of the first being's might. Right, okay. A power that could not be destroyed and that had ex existed beyond the universe. Um, more recent retellings have kind of updated that and the idea of Nemesis is not kind of mentioned again. Um, I quite like it. It's quite wistful. It's quite Tolkien-esque. Mm. Um, so what we do know from we looked at the history of galactus we had a big deep dive bonus episode all about the lifespan of galactus do you remember that yes oh was this uh was this the way there was a being more powerful than galactus we're not talking about that but no sorry, sorry. that was in it but yeah mm. um galactus comes from the previous iteration of the universe mm. the universe that existed before the big bang um, it was an older universe. It then got destroyed. The big crunch happened. Is it everything imploded? And then it exploded again in the Big Bang and created the 616 universe from the start. All of reality, right? And Galactus is the lone survivor of the previous universe. Well, in fact, in the Marvel Universe, we find out there have been several different iterations of the universe. Um, and we are, I think, the, we are currently in the eighth firmament, as it's known. Wow. There have been seven different firmaments in the uh, Marvel Universe. Um, the first cosmos, the first firmament, was the original universe, which existed before the multiverse came to being. It was eternal and unchanging until the Celestials got a bit bored. Um, <laughs> they went to war with another group of beings called the Aspirants, and the weapons that the Celestials use are so overwhelmingly powerful, they just shatter the first cosmos into pieces. Um, from this shattering, hundreds of new universes are born. That's the first multiverse. Mm. The Infinity Stones are remnants of the original cosmos. Um, splintered shards of the first universe that are scattered throughout the multiverse. Um, so there's a similarity in in that 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 nemesis. You, you might well say that perhaps, like religious people, and when they're talking of the first universe, they chose to make it a person. They chose to make it nemesis. Right. Um, okay. But it's it's a bit yeah. They um the so I mean I mean from a limited perspective, you could say 
Because they don't really explain what the Infinity Stones are. They just say they were created in the Big Bang. And now they're here. Um, yeah, perhaps the, there's a similarity in that you could say if you have a limited perspective, you can't see anything before the Big Bang. So perhaps you do believe they came from the Big Bang. But in the Marvel comics, they come from the first version of the cosmos. And they are beyond ancient. I I love that. Because you you think like, oh, ancient worlds. And you think, oh, what about the, the, the solar system? And beyond that and beyond that. And you think, oh, there's something beyond the universe in terms of, ah, oh, love it. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's this idea of like this, um, you can have kind of a mythological... Um, slant on science fiction stories, can't yes. you? You can, you can meld like cosmic cosmic beings can be sci-fi, but they're also kind of gods, mm. and you can just have these kind of yeah mythologies. Love it. Bruce tells Stark that Thanos is a plague who wipes out half the population of each planet he visits. It was Thanos who was behind the Battle of New York. If he gets his hands on the rest of the stones, he'll become so powerful he can destroy all life in the universe while tony wants to destroy the time stone to prevent thanos using it strange and wong push back telling tony that they swore an oath to protect it bruce reminds tony that the vision has the mind stone and they'll need to find him right away before thanos does however tony reveals that vision went off the radar two weeks ago the only person that tony can think of helping him find vision is steve rogers but since the Avengers broke up after their civil war, simply calling Cap might not be an easy task. Banner pushes Tony further, saying that if Thanos is coming, such petty grievances are meaningless. As Tony reluctantly goes to call Cap on his cell phone, they sense a loud rumble from outside, followed by crowds screaming. So in the comics, how do the Avengers... Um, find out about Thanos and the Infinity Stone? Is it Hulk crashing through Doctor Strange's house or something else? Uh, n- n- no, uh, although that's a nice touch because, um, mm. I mean, they haven't met in the MCU, but in the comic books, the the Hulk has a long-standing friendship with Doctor Strange and would very often seek refuge at his sanctum um, to hide from the world. And Doc- Doctor Strange has much more, because he's a doctor, mm. he has much more of kind of like a caring nature to him than a lot of other kind of smash-bang action heroes. Um, so no, it is not the Hulk crashing into Doctor Strange's house. It's the Silver Surfer. Um, so as we sort of, in the behind the page section, we talked about how Thanos's story really began in the Silver Surfer comic, um, this part of the story. Um, and the Surfer had been battling Thanos um, since he returned from the dead, seeking power and acting as an agent of death. And once Thanos puts all the gems together, because that's the thing about the Infinity Gauntlet, like <laughs> he gets it right at the start, um, and, and he forms the Infinity, he clashes with uh, the Silver Surfer whilst trying to adjust to his new position as God Almighty, as he puts it. Um, And he's trying to get used to his power. Um, And so he toys with the Silver Surfer, and he tortures him, and badly, badly hurts him, but ultimately grows bored and allows the Silver Surfer to escape because it absolutely does not matter to Thanos that people know what he's done or what he... Or that he's around and has this power because he's already done it. <laughs> he, by this point, has become omnipotent. There's 
just nothing you can do. So he, there's a lot in the, in the comic book. There's a lot more. Like in the movie, Thanos has ultimate power for a second. <laughs> like for like for less than a minute in the comics he's got ultimate omnipotent power and can do all these terrifying things with it and we see that oh, um, for, wow. for for issue after issue and there's a lot more kind of fun to be had so a gravely injured silver surfer um hurtles back to earth and finds his old ally dr strange um they were in the defenders together and he crashes to the roof of his sanctum and starts babbling about the end of the world because God has become mad. What a line. Opening then Sanctorum door and leading into the chaos outside, Tony is shocked to see a bizarre spaceship shaped like a colossal ring hovering above the streets of Manhattan. On a school bus heading to Queens, Peter Parker notices the spaceship in the distance and gets his best friend Ned to distract everyone on board while he quickly webs out the window and suits up. Facing the ship, Strange uses his magic to stop the craft in place. Suddenly, a blue light emits, sending down Ebony Moore and Cull Obsidian. Moore exclaims that the heroes are about to die at the hands of Thanos and they should rejoice. In response, Strange... Wong, He's a creepy dude, right? He is so creepy. Although I like yeah. to... What was it, the line? He calls him Squidward. Tony calls him Squidward, which I like. All right. Yeah. In response, Strange, Wong, and Stark insult the two aliens and get ready for battle. But Banner finds himself unable to change into Hulk. Banner continues to struggle while Tony's Iron Man nanotech suit covers him and Stark takes down Cole with a concentrated arc reactor blast. However, the next second, Moore sends Stark rocketing into the sky with his telekinesis and launches trees at the rest of the team. Realising that Banner could put himself in danger without the ability to hulk out, Strange teleports the Doctor to the nearby Washington Square Park out of harm's way as him and Wong battle Moore in the street. Also, I liked um, the nice Stan Lee cameo. Probably his last one, actually, isn't it? It'll be his last cameo. Um, no, his last cameo is Captain Marvel. Cap- yes, it was. My bad. Yeah, Stanley is the bus reading driver. a copy of, of Morats. Morats. Yes, we'll get onto that uh, when we cover Captain Marvel. But I love that Easter egg. What's the matter, you kid? You never seen a spaceship before? I like that because it's it is Stanley. So, but at the same time, it's like this would make so much sense at this moment in the MCU, considering how often this sort of things happened. How often has this sort of thing happened? Well, it's the Battle of New York. Right, uh, Battle of New York, then. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or alternative theory: the, there's the all cameos, all oh. Stanley cameos of the same character theory, <laughs> which uh, which means that this guy has been because we saw him in on the guard in the guard like he's been on. Is he talking to the Watcher or someone? He's talking he's to been the Watcher. Yeah. So yeah. it could just be that he's. Um, it's a joke. He's got, like he's seen spaceships and alien races and been on other planets. Oh, I love that. And so he's like, "What's the matter? Haven't you even seen it?" Because he has. It's kind of like a, a way. Or maybe you're. You know. Or maybe you're right. No, no, no. I, th- I think both are pretty good. Also, another good line. Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. <laughs> Absolutely, really, really fun bit. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think it detract. Like, there's a lot of these people that say if you make it, these sour faced dour people. Oh, they keep making a joke when it's meant to be. I don't want. I don't want this movie to be nothing but tense and 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 yeah. like 
full of anxiety. I, I, and, and it doesn't undercut the moment. It does. He's not saying he's not he's not delivering it like a line on a Disney Channel show. Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. That's not what happens. It's a it's it's a moment of like the tension is there and the line's part of that. It's slight it's slight levity. It's done in a way that's like it's like I always found I found for, for years now some of the best dramas have made me laugh than some of, laugh more than some of the best comedies because of the ability to undercut mm. a tense moment with something like this to relieve tension like that. But also, time. if you've ever worked in a high stress tense job, like. Do you think paramedics and police officers and firefighters don't make gallows humour to each other? Oh, they they do constantly, they do. and that's kind of what's happening here. Yeah, because because it's a anyway. So Thanos's top soldiers, we don't really get a big introduction um, to them. They they because no, they cut they cut forty five minutes from the, they, from the from the top of the movie. Yeah, I know it's mad. So I I assume they're characters from the comic books because they're pretty you know they're pretty unique. You know, they they couldn't have just been made for the film. Mm. That's interesting take. Um, okay. Well, you know, like uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, there, there probably aren't that many um, unique and interesting kind of super powered characters that are invented for the MCU, are there? So you, yeah, you're true. probably right there. Yeah. Um, th- this is the Black Order. Okay. Um, they're not a part of the Infinity Gauntlet stories. They're not a part of Thanos in the 70s or the 90s. They don't appear until 2013. Oh, um, okay. In 2013, uh, Thanos is going from world... Like, kind of... Be, uh, because Avengers, the Avengers movie, sparks a renewed interest in Thanos. Hmm. Marvel Comics went, put Thanos in a big comic. <laughs> so there was a story where Thanos was going from world to world, threatening to wipe out entire planets... Uh, unless they delivered a tribute. And the tribute was decapitated heads of a certain number of their young, their teenage people. Um, He was traveling the cosmos searching for his own ill-begotten son, but trying to cover it up. Anyway, he has these these almost like, it almost feels like a mafia thing. Mm. He has these dons, these capos, Mm. going on his behalf to the planets asking for tribute. Um and you're right. Just the mention of mafia stuff. I'm just imagining what if it was Paulie Walnuts and the Sopranos doing this? Yeah. Yes. Hey, uh, Thanos is uh, gonna come down and kill half of you. You want to rejoice or something? But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so the Black Order. They've all got these really. I love the names. Yeah. Oh, same here. Same here. The Ebony Moor. Oh. Which is a fancy way of saying black mouth. Um, <laughs> Corvus glaive. Glaive is a great word for yeah. sword. Um, and Corvus is a, uh, a like a black raven type bird. Oh, okay. Um, Proxima midnight, of course, midnight mm-hmm. darkness. Um, and Colobsidian is the name in the. It's a great name. That's the name in the in the um, movie. In the comics, Colobsidian is called black dwarf. Um, mm. I have a feeling that, that someone involved went, there actually are black dwarves in the world, <laughs> like little people who are African-American. Oh. Maybe we don't want to call a character black dwarf. Yeah. It's, it's, to, it's, to, it's, it's a play on dwarf stars and things like that. Um, oh, that's and how you have a white 
dwarf and a red dwarf and you have a, a black dwarf. But I think somewhere along the line, Disney went, well, you're going to real, real name that little, that little SOB. Um, yeah, and, and, and so um, there's a whole bunch of them with, uh, with these different things that they have. Uh, and Ebony Moore is, is, is easily the most interesting and has the most shelf life. But yeah, they, <clears throat> there's not a huge... There's, they don't they don't have massively fleshed out like backstories and kind of personalities but from 2013 onwards they the different iterations of them would would uh, would come around as well that sometimes when Thanos is dead there's another version of the black order and yeah. at one stage Hela the goddess of death forms her own black order and things like that it's 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 it's, good, it's probably good they didn't delve too much into the backstory because it's kind of like don't, you don't really it. need to know we need people for the Avengers to hit. We need people for the Avengers to hit who have some who you know look different to the regular you know bunch of villains. You know we we get we pretty much guess they're aliens. They have they have powers. They they they're in league with Thanos. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. Anyway. You can't touch the top heel until the main event. Exactly. So the top heel in the wrestling company has to have a stable of flunkies that can get beat up by the good guy. These, these are the bosses on the way to defeating the final. It's basically sure, they're, they're yeah. like they're like uh, Bowser's children who you have to defeat before you can That's fight right. Bowser himself. Why did they change? Because he was Cooper. I think he was Cooper when I was a kid. Or uh, Bowser when I was a kid. When did they change the name and what was it? Because no, I have arguments with my little godsons about this. No, this is this is. Uh, I, I was thinking about this the other day actually. Uh, basically, the names are different. Apart from Mario and Luigi, the other characters' the names are different in North America. Japan and Europe. Oh, of course. So Princess right. Toadstool is called Peach in Europe. Yeah, and Bow is called Bowser, but he's like King Cooper in America. I think in Japan. It's. It, I mean, I'm not going to say it's interesting to look up. But I mean, by all means, look it up. And you can see the alternative names depending on the. Nah, th- nah, nah, it's fine. It's like Eggman <laughs> and Doctor Robotnik. Anyway, that, that bugs me the most because yeah. I'm ah, oh, that bugs me so much. Because Robotnik, Robotnik is a much cooler name than Eggman. I I don't know whether Eggman is Sonic's like you know jokey nickname for him but when they started using it as his actual name i was like no don't do that because in sonic in one of the sonic the comic comics yeah we found out before an accident yeah his name was robotnik backwards or something or an anagram kinterball Kinterball. and i I remember remember it he was inside (laughs) he he was something happened and he was in a giant egg an immersion a giant egg and it's just like Oh man, why why do we let people write fan fiction? This is this is fan fiction level stuff. You know what we've definitely got time for on this on this episode. What? It's it's a massive massive like road diversion into Sonic. Um, let's <laughs> refocus. Yeah, sorry, sorry no, it's guys. Both of us. It was me as well. Don't, let's don't, refocus. Don't want to get another four out of five review. Uh- <laughs> okay. Tony Stark flies back down from the sky and rejoins the fight against Moore, but is hit by Cull, launching Iron Man towards the park where Banner is hiding. As Stark continues fighting the hulking alien, Banner continues to struggle summoning Hulk from within. Cull launches his giant hammer at an injured Stark, but, it's, but it is stopped at the last second by Spider-Man. The two continue fighting Cole while Strange and Wong use teleportation powers against Moore. However, the telekinetic alien traps Strange into a wall and attempts to steal the Time Stone from him. But Moore is burnt by the Eye of Agamotto. Strange reveals that he has enchanted the artifact with an unbreakable spell. Moore deduces the only way to retrieve the stone is to kill Strange. 
and restrains the wizard with his powers, rendering Strange unconscious. The next second, Strange's cape flies off on its own to get help, getting the attention of Spider-Man, who chases after Moore. After Spider-Man frees Doctor Strange from his bounds, Moore's ship activates its tractor beam and pulls Strange's unconscious body towards it. Spider-Man struggles to hold Strange down. As Kor is about to land a, a deadly blow to Stark, Wong closes, sorry, Wong opens a portal, sending the alien to a distant snowy mountain range. Before the portal closes, Carl lunges back towards them, but his hand is severed as the portal closes on him. With the fight over, Iron Man launches towards Moore's ship, which is now leaving Earth with Doctor Strange held prisoner. Uh, one Stark line I forgot about at the end of that fight. Wong, you're invited to my wedding. Mm. <laughs> so we, took, we, we discussed Ebony Moore, clearly the more noticeable one of the, uh, the Black Order. Uh, what can you tell us about him, though? He is not a fighter. No. Um, he, he's, he's, so, uh, what is the description of him? Um, he, is that he's described as having a black tongue that spreads mischief and evil wherever he goes. Sounds like Loki. Um, so, he, that's the result of having a superhumanly persuasive voice that allows him to control even very strong minds um so he spreads like the religion of thanos mm. um and this kind of very very sick dark evil kind of message throughout all these planets uh, and everyone kind of follows what he says um he, he's genius level intellect and it's mainly his thinking that Thanos values. Mm. He didn't originally have any telekinesis powers when first introduced, but then guess what happened after this movie came out? Oh, there they changed the character a bit. So we had telekinesis. Um, when Thanos targets earth as the next planet for him to raise during the infinity storyline, um, the Ebony Moore is dispatched to deal with Doctor Strange, whose magics could really put a big uh, dent in things. Uh, and the Ebony Moore is able to control Doctor Strange's mind and um, tr turns him into this double agent, basically. And Strange doesn't know that he's even working for Moore, but has no choice about it, and um, forces Strange to summon Shumagorath, um, the one-eyed <laughs> beast. Uh, and all things like that. Yeah. He, what does he, he eventually betrays Thanos. He jumps ship because he sees that Thanos' son, Thane, uh, is on the rise. Mm. And so he betrays Thanos. And I think it leads to Thanos, yeah, leads to Thanos being killed by his own son so that he can become the black mind guiding and directing Thane into something even more terrible than his father. Ooh, I love mm. that. Also, I love the name Thane, even though it's like, yeah, we just delete some letters at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Heading towards the spaceship, Iron Man notices that Spider-Man is still clinging to the side of the ship and is running out of air as the ship leaves Earth's atmosphere. Thinking fast, Stark launches a new nanotech suit at Spider-Man, allowing him to breathe in the cold, harsh vacuum of space, but not before programming the suit to send Spider-Man back home. <laughs> but not uh, before programming the suit 
to send Spider-Man home. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that delivery a lot. So, I, I couldn't help it. <laughs> as Iron Man infiltrates the ship, he tells Pepper that he'll be late coming home as her worried voice breaks away from the lack of signal. Outside the ship, Spider-Man disobeys orders and sneaks aboard. Back in New York... Wong disappears back to the Sanctum to Sanctum to organise a way to get the Time Stone back, while Banner makes an important call to Steve Rogers. I mean, it's an absolutely mental design uh, for a spaceship, but I think we've discussed, like, in a previous episode, like, your spaceship can be any shape you want if it just stays in space. But this doesn't stay in space. It does what it, it does what it wants because it's science fiction. It can it yeah. can have stuff that aren't, isn't invented. Um, I like if I'm going to have a spaceship, I want it shaped like an onion ring. Uh, yeah, so I think it's fine. It's it's fine. You know, fine. I mean, you you don't, you don't think about an onion ring, uh, especially one at that. Yeah, last time I saw a spaceship like that uh, was Prometheus at the end of the film, where the, where she's running away from the spaceships rolling after her. And all I can remember thinking is, run to the side, run to the side. She's running in a straight line. That's yeah. a terrible film. It's so bad. It's such mm. a bad. There's some good bits, but it's on the whole, it's a bad film. Ugh. Anyway, let's get back to this. So, we get Spider-Man's very high-tech armored suit uh, here from Tony Stark. Uh, it, that's that's got to be something that happens in the comics, right? He must get a, a high-tech suit. He, I mean, he has. Several tech suits that he builds himself, but getting one from Tony Stark um, does happen. Um, so, uh, when uh, Peter Parker is part of the new Avengers with Iron Man, that's the first time that he and Tony Stark really have any time together. Mm. Um, and Peter Parker moves since the Avengers know his secret identity. Him and Aunt May and Mary Jane move into... Stark Tower, Avengers Tower, uh, and they all live together. Um, and during that period of time, um, Tony Stark really takes Peter under his wing. It's around the time of the Civil War as well. Um, mm. And so when the Civil War kicks off, Peter Parker goes against all his natural instincts and just goes along with Tony because he started to sort of like really... Tony's given him everything, like this... A great job. He works at Stark Tech. He's got this amazing kind of free living accommodation and stuff like that. <clears throat> and after uh, Peter Parker sort of dies, sort of doesn't quite die, um, Tony Stark builds him a suit of armor to protect him so it won't happen again. Mm. The Iron Spider armor. Ooh, it's hello. red and gold. Like, it's the, it's the Iron Man colors. It has an AI to help it operate. Um... It has nanotech, um, and it'll, oh, its big feature is that it has mechanical spider arms um, that operate like Doc Ock's tentacles um, that can help him do all sorts of stuff. Mm. So yeah, and there's 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 um, there's like uh, special underarm mesh webbing that helps him glide long distances. Ah, uh, yes, <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> Um, bulletproof, stuff like that. It can create robotic spider drones to go and film stuff and record things. All sorts, all sorts of stuff. Um, and then they have their falling out during the Civil War where Peter Parker sees the um, highly fascist prison that Stark is throwing 
superheroes into um, as he leads his campaign to honestly how he comes out of that story and isn't secretly a villain or a scroll is mad <laughs> uh, like nope it's just me tony stark i'm a bit of a fascist um and so he turns against tony stark and stark kind of destroys this well no stark just takes the iron spider armor back and peter starts wearing the normal one again and um yeah that's that's the it's the big one that they and then uh, that iron spider armor goes on to be given to because Tony Stark's running Shield at the time, mm. so he takes some highly trained like fighters from Shield, and he gives I think three of them the Iron Spider armor, mm. and they're called the Scarlet Spiders, uh, and they work for Tony Stark and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean outside of that, uh, Peter Parker has built his own tech suits over the years because mm. he's depending on what area you're reading, he's very sciencey. But the first that's one that be given to him by Tony. I remember the Insomniac game having loads of like different suits and different tech you could use. Obviously, because they're using the lore of the comics to sort of build up different abilities in a video game way. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he built like bulletproof armor, um, and then in on the Dan Slots run, he built um, like this invisible stealth suit, which is I think it's um, neon green and like a dark blue almost a purple thing or a black and yeah there's all sorts of different things he's had over the years well i think it's appropriate in this time of uh, the infinity war episode where we're talking about the morality of power to talk about the morality of their power your power out there everyone listening that's right <laughs> listeners you have the power to help this podcast but you're choosing to do the evil thing by not helping and the only way to help, of course, is to head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's the moral thing to do, Will. Yes. You have the power. The moral thing is to go to patreon.com and help us. The podcast only exists because of a delicate balance of resources. Do you get it? <laughs> right? Yeah? Yeah? Our resources, i.e. cashola money, are not high enough. If they're not high enough, this entire podcast will vanish the snap of a finger, just like that. Or worse still, half the podcast will wither and die and fade away. And this will simply be called Marvel V, which is not a show. <laughs> Can't have a show called Marvel V. We tried. Apple rejected it. You have the power. You don't have to go back in time. You can make it right, right now, today. You can increase our resources and help this podcast for the greater good of the universe. Show your support over on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You can support us for as little as £3 a month. That's barely the cost of a cup of coffee. And it's a coffee that me and Will have to share and make awkward eye contact all the way through. <laughs> and in exchange for your support, we'll give you awesome bonus content like Obscure Marvel, the show where me and Will dive into the most ridiculous, silly, hilarious and obscure moments in the history of Marvel Comics this month, Will, <laughs> we looked at Thor and Loki versus the world. <laughs> uh, how 
how did you enjoy that episode with a very silly Thor? Oh, well, I mean, you know, it wasn't as silly as say uh, Ragnarok Thor and whatnot, but man, I don't know. It, it it got it got very silly, especially the the bit with the brain. But you know, I'm gonna be karate chopping you on next time I see you. I'm gonna karate chop you on the back of the head and see if I can make you evil uh, because <laughs> Loki told me to do it. Um, <laughs> I also did love. If you go to check out the episode, Odin's master plan <laughs> to defeat them all, which involves going to B and Q, getting some supplies. Um, that's what we do. We have fun with obscure Marvel every single month for everybody that donates at the three pound tier. That's the, the the smallest tier available. You're going to get access to that awesome bonus content. There's tons and tons of obscure Marvel episodes up there for you to enjoy. Um, we're going to welcome some new patrons who became part of the community this summer. Uh, Ellie B, Robert, Adam, Joyce, Marcus, James Bull, Dave N, K-Squad 80, and Toby Pearman. Pearman. Those guys all did the right thing. They all realised it was time to give back to this podcast, give back to this community, and it's thanks to their support that we're able to make huge episodes like this, the biggest one we've ever done. Um, and there's just, you know, they succumbed and eventually realized the moral thing to do was to support us. There's 75 bonus episodes available right now. This month, we're diving into tons of Marvel history uh, in this episode, but this movie doesn't scratch the surface of the original comic book, The Infinity Gauntlet. This month's bonus episode on Patreon is a deep dive into the stories that inspired Infinity War. And Will, you just said like moments ago to me that you're really excited for that particular deep dive bonus episode. I can't wait. I really want to know how the comic uh, improves over the film. It's just so different. I mean, you'll be the judge of whether it improves or not, but it's just so different. Thanos, very different character, um, wonderful kind of conclusion and ending. It's just really exciting. Um, We're going to take you through the resurrection of Thanos, his quest for the Infinity Gems, his battles with Adam Warlock and the Silver Surfer, his obsession with death, his alliance with Mephisto. That's right, Mephisto's in this one. And just exactly how powerful the Infinity Gauntlet is. Join us this month for part one of our Infinity Gauntlet deep dive. Only available on Patreon. You can get access to 38 deep dive bonus episodes. Plus early access to every show. Plus access to 33 mini shows. It's all waiting for the people that do the right thing and help supporters. Patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel stand up be counted help this podcast help the community ensure we can do mega episodes like this patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel do the right thing meanwhile in deep space the guardians of the galaxy respond to the distress call from the asgardian ship arriving at the ship's coordinates they are shocked to see a scene of utter destruction with dead bodies floating in space the next second The unconscious body of Thor smashes against their observation screen, and the Guardians are shocked to see that he is still alive. Taking the Thunder God on board the ship, the team has no idea who this person is and how he survived in space. Mantis wakes up Thor, and the Thunder God arises with an abrupt yell, wondering where he is. As Thor recuperates, Gamora explains to him and the rest of the Guardians how truly powerful Thanos is and what he intends to do. Discovering that Gamora is Thanos' daughter, he informs her of his brother's death at the hands of her father, but empathises with Gamora, 
remembering how dysfunctional his own Asgardian family has been. Thor surmises that Thanos will be heading to nowhere next, as that is where the Reality Stone is located. But Thor needs to head to... <clears throat> Nidavilla... Nid... I, I, I got it Nidal... right. Nidavilla. Nidavilla first, to create a new weapon, powerful enough to defeat Thanos. The team agrees to split up. Thor, Groot and Rocket head to Nidalavir, while the rest of the Guardians travel to nowhere. I loved the bickering about Thor being a man while Star-Lord is merely a dude. <laughs> it clearly impacted James Gunn, because... Uh... Oh, no, no, they... No, no, that's right, that's wrong. James Gunn, the first chance he gets, kicks Thor out of the Guardians, doesn't he? Um, yeah. But they, everyone else seemed to really like it, and uh, was like, you'll put the Guardians into the Thor movie, and... Yeah. We'll have them spend lots of time together. And James Gunn came along and went, nope. <laughs> Not <laughs> part of my of... vision. See nope. ya. <laughs> so we, do, does that ever happen in the comics, though, actually? Does that ever happen? Does, does Thor have a team up with Guardians of the Galaxy? Does, or does is this... Thor have a team up with the Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, the Guardians make this so hard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do you know, what do we know about the Guardians of the Galaxy, Will? They we know have that a diverse like lineup. Two... We know that there's two teams. Ah, oh, I forgot right? about that. There's the original Guardians of the Galaxy team from like the 60s and 70s mm. that have nothing to do with Star-Lord and his group. Right. Okay. They're from the far-flung future of the Marvel Universe. It's like Charlie 27, Martin X, Yando. Um, well, that's that connection, I guess. Um, they, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, who aren't the original Guardians of the Galaxy because they're from the future... Right. But publication time-wise, they were first created in the 60s and then their adventures were in the 70s and then in the Hooray. 90s. They travel back in time from the far distant Marvel future to the 1970s and and team up with the Avengers and meet Thor, right? Mm. But that's not Star-Lord's team, so forget that. That was meaningless. I didn't need to have said it. Um the Star Lords team of of Guardians, who are chronologically timeline wise the original, right? But publication wise, they're not. They came about in the mid two thousands. Okay. Um, during the Infinity Gauntlet, Thor. Here we go. Here it is. Thor fought alongside um, Drax the Destroyer and Gamora because they were part of the. They were called the Defenders, as they um, all all the superheroes that fought Thanos. No, no, <laughs> no. Thor was there. Drax was there. Gamora was there. So you could say, yeah, Thor worked with some of them. You could say that, couldn't you? But this was 1991, Will, and in 1991, Thor isn't Thor. What is it? So this guy didn't know it was. This ah so in 1991, Marvel were like, you know what Thor needs a secret identity again, like the 60s. <laughs> so Thor, the real Thor, Odin's son, um, murders Loki in battle and is banished from Asgard. Right, it's all a trick. Loki's fine, uh, but banished from Asgard, no longer allowed to be Thor. Hand over Mjolnir, and then Thor's mortal friend Eric Masterson 
who had shown great valour in battle and uh, briefly been briefly replaced Thor and wielded Mjolnir, he was transformed into the new Thor and had to pretend he was the original Thor for some reason. And he wears a metal <laughs> helmet. His metal helmet has like a, an eye mask section for some reason, even though he's physically Thor. Or is he? No, no, no. <sighs> anyway, this version is Eric Masterson Thor that was in the Infinity Gauntlet with Gamora and Drax against Thanos. So I'm going to say no. <laughs> almost. 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 Twice almost. almost. He, would have done, he would have done at some point, but yeah, there we go. Out of all the questions I've ever asked you on this three and a bit years of this podcast, that's the one I regret the most. That was that was a tangled mess of wires of an answer. It's not my fault, baby. It's, it's the Guardians and then also Thor not being Thor. If you can't put your answer in the form of a tweet, I don't want to hear it. We'll shut the podcast down then. <laughs> In Edinburgh, Vision in his human form arises suddenly in his sleep, waking wonder. He feels as if the Mind Stone is talking to him as the gem on his forehead glows brightly. Taking a stroll on the cobble streets of the Scottish capital, Vision wonders if he should just leave all of his responsibilities and run away, asking Wanda to come with him wherever he goes. Suddenly, Wanda notices a news report on a nearby TV showing New York being attacked by Thanos. Vision realises that this could be the reason why the Mind Stone was talking to him. The next second, Vision is impaled by Corvus Glaive, causing Vision to revert back to his robot form. Before Wanda can strike against Corvus, she is blown through a nearby window by Proxima Midnight. Wasting no time, Corvus uses Spiked Staff in an attempt to remove the Mind Stone from Vision, while the robot screams in agony. The next second, Wanda emerges from the window and uses her powers to take down the two lieutenants before flying Vision away to safety elsewhere in the city. The next second, Corvus and Proxima find them and they fight on top of and outside a church. Corvus attempts to extract the stone again, but Wanda is able to attack back before flying off with an injured, vig injured Vision. The next moment, Proxima blasts Wanda and Vision out of the sky, sending them crashing through the roof of Edinburgh Waverley train station. Now, obviously, I put Edinburgh Waverley train station there because we're you and me, Rob. We're familiar with that train station. Oh yes, all comedians are. <laughs> so I thought it would uh, be a good point because uh, I, I I I did my own little research onto the people who are playing Thanos' lieutenants, uh, or the Dark Order, or the Children of Thanos, according to Wikipedia. They're all played by actors in mocap suits, pretty much doing the voices, and some are more famous than others. Much like Christopher Eccleston in uh, Thought of Dark World, we don't get a good idea who, of who's playing each of them, but I dug a little, little deeper, and here we are. First of all, Corvus Glaive, played by Michael James Shaw, <coughs> whose writing cred credits also include The Walking Dead, Blue Bloods, and The His Wire. writing credits? Sorry, who's... Whose credits? What I, I, I who's, sorry, whose acting credit? Why did I say writing? That was. I don't know. Neither of those words are on this thing in front of you. I think I saw the word whose, and, and my mind autocorrected said writing in front of the credits. I have a weird thing. It, I don't. It's not dyslexia. I'm just very weird. Uh, Ebony Moore, played by Tom Vaughan Lawler, who appeared on Peaky Blinders. Uh, Cole Obsidian is played by Terry Notary, who is a veteran stunt performer and movement coach, appearing in uh, many films, including X-Men 2, Avatar, The Incredible Hulk, uh, 2008 one playing uh, Hulk and Abomination mocap, The Adventures of Tintin, The Last Four Planet of the Apes films, The Hobbit films, 
Nope. And he also uh, has a fantastic performance as a man pretending to be an ape in the 2017 film The Square, which I recommend. It was the same director as The Triangle of Sadness. And if you've got any legal documents that need to be sorted out, he's your guy. What, Terry? No, (laughs) because he's a notary. Got you. Yeah, yeah, and like that happened as you were saying the final word. I was, I was there going, are you, are you making fun of me reading lots of text? What's going? Oh, notary. There we go. Brilliant. He's, he's good. He's, he's very good. But last of all, and this is my personal favourite. Proxima Midnight is played by Carrie Coon, whose credits include Gone Girl, Ghostbusters Afterlife, The Leftovers, and season three of Fargo, for which she was nominated for an Emmy. I love her. She's who, great. Who, who is she in season three of Fargo? Uh, she was. She, I think she was the detective, and she had. Uh, I think the. Uh, she has short cropped hair, like a bob almost. That's not going to help me. I don't remember what people look like ever. <laughs> uh, that's fine. I think she was the detective, and she Good was the one detective. with a copy of her grand someone's old stock sci-fi story about the robot, and and she, you know, keeps switching to that story. Oh, it's ringing bells, but yeah. okay. She's she's very good. Uh, definitely watch the leftovers as well. Anyway. Picking herself up from the crash, Wanda tells the injured Vision she is staying with him as Corvus and Proxima approach them. As an intercity train rushes past a platform behind Wanda, Proxima notices a figure behind it. Attacking the figure, the silhouette emerges from the shadows. Captain America. Suddenly, the Falcon swoops in and kicks Proxima into a coffee shop before launching a barrage of small missiles at Corvus. As Corvus bats away each missile, Black Widow slides in and uses Proxima's staff against him. Cap, Falcon, and Black Widow team up against the lieutenants and have them beat. But before they can make another move, Proxima transports herself and Corvus back aboard Moore's ship before it flies away from Edinburgh. On board the Quinjet, Cap takes Wanda and Vision home. Great entrance from Cap here. Amazing. Great. It's just like, it's just hero emerges from from the shadows and and then, and then everyone teams up. It, it was just because we, we'd had to wait so long into the movie to see him it was it was the it was a really like oh man yeah i just like i'd forgotten how much i love his captain america and it was just it was really cool but also i i liked that it was you know playing up to the changes from civil war he's not in the full regalia costume yeah um yeah, yeah it was just great and again just mad seeing a train station i'm so familiar with in a hollywood blockbuster it's just mm. it's just mad it's like it was like that um can, can, can I say anything about one of the episodes of Secret Invasion? I don't think so, no. Oh, damn it, never mind. I, I once had a bit, when I went to the cinema, a bloke came in and uh, he was just like really uh, enthusiastic and kind of bouncing off the walls. And he was like, what happens to those big stand, stands before you, when you get rid of those big stands? Can I have one of those big big promotional cardboard stand cardboard cutouts? Yeah. Can I have one of them? Can I have one of them? And I was like, um... I don't know, or I, maybe I guess so. And we sometimes did did put people's name down for things. And he went because it's it's born. It's it was like born, whatever. He goes, my surname is born, <laughs> right? And he goes, just imagine how how amazing it is to see your own name in a movie. <laughs> and went, right, okay. And he's like, I'm Derek Born. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I, I refuse to believe this so, happened. This is something you've written. It. No, 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 genuinely. And I said, <laughs> oh, wow. Well. And then my, 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 my girl I work with said, oh, is it spelled exactly the same? And he went, well, nearly. There's <laughs> <laughs> not even, not even the word on the thing. <laughs> Derek Bourne. 
<laughs> it's me. It, I'm I'm the born. What was the middle one? Supremacy. Oh, that's no. me. That's that's so bad. That is so good. <clears throat> oh god. Anyway. Oh god. Okay. Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. We've uh, we've talked a little bit. We've talked about more. Let's talk about them. The husband and wife, don't you know? Um, Proxima is a master um, combatant. Her spear is her whole thing. Yeah. It is a star trapped in a quantum singularity by Thanos himself. Bloody yeah. So the spear, um, depending on what it does, it, it it has an energy to it that is poisonous. And it never misses. Um, so it's fatal to whoever it, whoever it stabs, it, they will die within minutes, irrespective of their power level or anything. It's this, this energy in it is a poison. It can also become, gain near infinite mass (laughs) by reverting to its kind of star-like manner. Um, so it can... It can't even. It was used because it's so heavy. It was used to just. She just placed this staff, this spear, on the Hulk's chest, mm. and he could not get up. So similar, almost like Mjolnir, in a way. No, completely different. Okay, never mind. Mjolnir is an enchantment. That means only someone with a worthy soul, worthy soul. can lift the hammer. This is science. Okay. I'm just um, saying there's a, there's there's a similarity there an unmovable weapon you know it's not unmovable neither are unmovable <laughs> mind never mind um and Corvus Glaive who carries a glaive um a big sword thing he I'm is look that up what keep, the word glaive talking. I'm gonna look at glaive okay sword thing um he yeah you want to say something no 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 okay. no well, you went kind of, like that, you see. Kind of is a sword, but it's a big stick. It has to be sharp. So it's, it's sharp. a sword. Yeah. Because to glaive something is to mm. cut it. Yes. Um, Corvus is Thanos' most favoured lieutenant. Um, and he is the leader of the Black Order. Um, it, d- when Jonathan Hickman was introducing the characters, and we had to have this, like these descriptions of these new characters because they weren't getting any backstory, really. He the description for Corvus Grave sounds awesome. We never got anything to describe why. But it was like a warrior who betrayed his people and sold his soul to Thanos to pursue a different kind of glory. And you went, Oh, what's that about? We'll never know. Um Yeah, he he's he's husband to Proxima Midnight. The the glaive itself can slice through any known thing and person <laughs> in the universe. Amazing. Um, and he is completely immortal as long as his weapon is in one piece um, he was disintegrated but got better uh, got better <laughs> and then he at one stage he wants to commit suicide he fights he Thanos is dead Corvius forms his own version of the Black Order Thanos comes back to life and says I have to kill you now because you try to do something without me um, and Thanos beats him in battle, and Corvus does not want to suffer a horrifying death at Thanos' hands, so he snaps the glaive in half and dies immediately. Um, so he's only immortal based on the glaive. Yeah, they are, they've got cool designs and cool names, but the more you kind of dive into the characters, the more they seem... I don't know. 
They seem like pe- characters that people who play Warhammer have come up with. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They don't yeah. seem like mar- proper Marvel characters to me. Yeah, they, they they genuinely feel like that. It also, if I if my whole Im- immortality depended on that, I would not carry that around with me. No, I'd put I'd hide it in a box at the bottom of the ocean. I'd I'd seal it in concrete and lead. <laughs> God, maybe I don't know. He's not read any of the Horcrux, you know, <laughs> books of Harry Potter, has he? Yeah. Just wandering around with it. Jeez. In a flashback to her childhood, Gamora remembers sheltering with her mother as their planet is invaded by Thanos and his forces. Countless civilians are murdered by Chitauri warriors before the survivors are lined up into two groups. In the panic and confusion, Gamora is separated from her mother and comes face to face with Thanos. Gamora asks where her mother is, but Thanos simply responds that he recognises her fighting ability. Taking her by the hand, Thanos explains to the young Gamora how the universe should be perfectly in balance, using a small double-edged dagger to demonstrate this. Meanwhile, one group of civilians behind them are slaughtered, sparing half of the population. In the present, Gamora asks Star-Lord a favour. If she is captured by Thanos, he needs to kill her. The knowledge she claims to have could risk the entire universe. I'll always remember that genocide scene. It uh, just really hammers home the brutality of Thanos in his films, especially when he's killing innocent civilians. And saving one child. Yeah. Um, there's this great episode of, in the first series, of the first new series of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. where, or is it? No, yeah, it must be the first, because it's Eccleston. So there's been a uh, monstrous alien creature that had tried to destroy the whole world, mm. um, and then thought they were defeated and then a few episodes later turns out still alive and has become like mayor of a town in wales and it's it's almost a bottle episode because they don't the the tardis is stuck on earth recharging and can't go anywhere refueling and the doctor like they find her they capture her and she's like, we're gonna take you back home you're gonna stand trial with your own people and she's like oh they'll know what you're doing though they'll execute me immediately they'll kill me they'll drop me into like a, a, a plasma that will dissolve me um so don't think you're doing anything other than leading me to my death and she requests a final meal mm. and she and, and it's a, a lovely tense meal between her and the doctor <laughs> Um, and she talks to him about how she's changing and how she's spared a couple of lives recently. Um, and the doctor says, but that's what you people do. Mm. Every now and then, because you like the way someone smiled, because you like the look of them, you spare someone and you fool yourself into thinking it means something when it doesn't because you're a monster yeah. there's blood dripping off you and i i thought of that moment yeah. in, in this this kind of um he takes one person aside and is nice and is like tries to relate to them whilst butchering all her family and her community and everybody it that, that reminds me of a similar thing they were talking about on that behind the bastards podcast where they're saying like um, a lot of people say like uh, looking back at uh, some 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 fascists they're like oh yeah but they had they were nice to that Jewish person or that person of color or whatever, and it's yeah. like, how, they, how can that be fascist? And, and they and they argue, no, that is the most fascist you could be if you're just going like, oh, I like that one person, but the rest of them as a whole, I don't like them. Like you're still a fascist. It doesn't. It's like that. Oh, but what? Some some of my best friends are black. Kind of defense. Mm. It's that kind of, oh, god. Amazing. The mind can do all these. Uh, 
gymnastics to make yeah, yourself yeah, say yeah to, mental to, gymnastics to yeah. go around it all what a what a what a troubled species we are also uh, i felt they managed to get the comedy aspect of the guardian's dialogue just right in this film um obviously i know i know like as you said they the writers of the original film hmm. i got it but obviously because it's playing against quite a tense uh, uh and dread there, there's i mean the opening scene with them Great. You're right, though. James Gunn is the... Or James Gunn... Well, maybe it's James Gunn. Maybe it's these writers. But those Guardians movies are the very best at balancing um, pathos, dramatic kind of dang, dread, and great comedy. And that's why I am really looking forward to, to Gunn's DC Universe. I, I want to see this mm. sort of stuff shine. So, Gamora, then. Uh, this flashback is this what happens in the comics this flashback is with, with remembering remembering her, her, her oh her her origins her origin story yeah sorry no there's there's some similarities so gamora is the last of her kind mm. but her people weren't killed by thanos they were wiped out by something called the universal church of truth which is a star-spanning planet-spanning religious theocracy um, that is dedicated to an insane cosmic figure called the Magus. Mm. Um, the Magus is the twisted future version of the cosmic hero Adam Warlock. At some point in the future, Adam Warlock will become this twisted uh, Magus figure. It all has lots of symbolic sy symbolism because for a period of time, Adam Warlock was like this worshipped as a Jesus figure on a world once, and he's going to end up creating this kind of twisted version of a church and things like that. It's going to become very bad. Thanos and Warlock are bitter, bitter enemies, and Thanos knows Warlock will one day become the Magus and be an even more dangerous enemy to him and his plans. So he finds Gamora. This impressionable, willful like his, his his the reason he's so impressed with it because she has this indomitable will, mm. but also she has this ingrained hatred towards the Magus that is a core part of her being, and so he takes her and he raises her and trains her to be the perfect assassin, the perfect weapon. Um, and he has her uh, cybernetically altered, so she's stronger and faster than any humanoid. Um, and he works to constantly harden her heart, sends her off to assassinate all these people around the galaxy. So Gamora, you know, gains this reputation as the deadliest woman in the galaxy. That's a, a tag they use on her loads. Um, and she she ends up through a, a one of the earliest Thanos stories having to work alongside Adam Warlock to stop his evil future self um, and comes to respect Adam. And then she's kind of at odds with Thanos when Thanos is going to get the soul gems and destroy the whole universe. Um, <laughs> and um, she, she dies in battle, but Adam Warlock, who has the soul gem, takes her soul inside the soul gem where she lives in peace in this paradise that's this other dimensional world that's yeah. inside the soul gem um she the infinite during the infinity gauntlet adam warlock and gamora are dead but because all this thanos stuff is happening 
we see how they return to the world. And what happens is um, a couple of drunk drivers crash their cars and die. And their souls re- um, return from the soul world, possess these dead decomposing bodies, get them before they're too badly gone. Oh. And they, they, they start to convert them into Gamora's body, Adam Warlock's body. And she, from that point on, she's really kind of like on Adam Warlock's side against Thanos. Um, trying to always trying to stop him from destroying um, destroying the universe, and ends up then late, much much later on, joining um, Star Lord's new team of of Guardians. Wow! <laughs> yeah, arriving at nowhere, the Guardians find the place deserted. Sneaking into the Collector's lair, they witness Thanos interrogating a very wounded Collector for the location of the Reality Stone. However, Drax, getting so close to Thanos, the man who murdered his wife and daughter, loses patience and starts to move in for the kill, despite him giving away their position. Mantis acts quickly, putting Drax to sleep, but the weight of Drax's body hitting the floor alerts Thanos. Throwing the Collector in one of his own display cases, Thanos approaches the Guardians with Gamora running in to attack Thanos, stabbing the tyrant in the throat with the same double-edged dagger he gifted her. Choking on his own blood and asking, Why, daughter? Thanos collapses on the floor, with Gamora instantly overcome with emotion. From his cell, the Collector applauds Gamora's performance, but the celebrations are cut short when, from elsewhere, Thanos asks Gamora, Is that sadness I sense in you? Before the illusion fades away, nowhere is already in flaming ruins, and Thanos is alive and well, already in possession of the Reality Stone. Taking Gamora captive, the rest of the Guardians try to intervene, but succumb to Thanos' reality-bending powers. As Star-Lord gets the jump on Thanos, Gamora tearfully reminds Peter about his promise to kill her if captured by her father. Thanos realises what their promise was and notices the weakness in Star-Lord, yelling at him to kill her. Trying not to cry, Star-Lord pulls the trigger on his gun, but all that comes out are bubbles thanks to the Reality Stone. Thanos teleports away with Gamora, leaving the rest of the Guardians standing in the ruins of nowhere. Absolutely scary having reality bending powers like that. I mean, it's beyond magic, isn't it? Reality bending. And I and I think the like comical, like the the what he's doing is this kind of garish kiddie stuff, yeah. which makes it terrifying. Um, I don't know why it makes it terrifying. Seeing the real world implications of having kind of cartoon logic in the real world is scary. Yeah. Like, did you ever see the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Buster Scruggs, yeah. Loved that. You mean the first bit? The first bit, which is like taking these kind of like old, um, over the top, garish, cartoon esque westerns, mm. which would be. And then, and then, kind of, if someone was this good at killing, it would be horrifying. Yeah, um, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that I'm just, I'm just remembering the bit with the thing where it was he steps his uh, boot on the table and it, it, it keeps getting the guy to shoot himself in his own face. Yeah, it's, it's like or it's just brutal. It, it's 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 that fine line between yeah, cartoon violence and this is awful. <laughs> it's cut. It's like it's like taking like a Tom and Jerry, like a Looney Tunes cartoon, but filming it. It's it's. <laughs> Basically, Home Alone. Uh, so, what can Thanos do with the Reality Stone in the original story? Uh, we say he shrinks. He shrinks um, Hulk to an insect. We talked yep. about that. 
Um, Cyclops tries to kill him with the optic blasts, and then <laughs> he traps Cyclops' head in an unbreakable prism. Wow. So that Cyclops' optic blast bounce off the prism uh, and bounce around hitting his own head again and again and again until he's dead. Wow. Um, Wolverine like Wolverine has like the Thor moment where he leaps out of nowhere and stabs Thanos in the chest. Um but Thanos turns his adamantium bones to rubber and Ooh. Wolverine just wilts and can't move. Um, oh god. He encases uh Namor and She-Hulk in this like fungus this that grows all over their bodies and like become grows hard and they just become mushrooms. They just become colonized. Um he turns Thor into glass um and and shatters him. Ugh. Um yeah, it's the 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 stone like he he goes to war with Celestials, Galactus, like every giant cosmic power in the Marvel Universe that is beyond mortal, and Thanos just obliterates them. He's he's just unstoppable. Oh, God. It's, it, again, it's just that cartoony element to it. It's just like, ah, uh, like turning yeah, someone he, to glass. God. He turns someone into building blocks, but I forget who now. He turns someone to... Like children's building blocks in the film, in the in the comic book, the comic book. Oh god, that's just mm, it's it's uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. Anyway, at the Avengers facility, James Rhodes reports to General Ross via holophone about the location of the missing Avengers, claiming the Sokovia Accords for their absence. The next second, Cap enters with Black Widow, Vision, and Wanda. Ross isn't prepared to give Cap and the other other Renegade Avengers. Sorry, Ross isn't prepared to forgive Cap and the other Renegade Avengers. Cap tells Ross that there is a threat to the Earth that needs to be dealt with first, but Ross stubbornly orders Rhodes to arrest the fugitives. Rhodes hangs up on the general, knowing how much trouble it can get him in, before warmly greeting his old comrades. The rest of the team, especially Black Widow, are pleasantly surprised to see Bruce Banner alive and well. Banner explains the threat of Thanos to the team, realising that Thanos is after his Mind Stone. <coughs> He proposes that they should destroy the Mind Stone, if, even if it kills Vision in the process. Unfortunately, the Avengers won't have the means to remove or destroy the stone, but Cap knows somewhere that will. So this is the first time the Avengers are reunited after the Civil War. Uh, what brings the Avengers back together after the comic book Civil War? Because that was really was a changing moment. Uh, yeah, well, mm, Cap dies at the end of the comic book Civil War, sort of. Mm. Uh, Tony Stark runs S.H.I.E.L.D. We get two teams of Avengers. We get the official S.H.I.E.L.D. government-sponsored Avengers. We get the renegade fugitive Avengers. Mm. Um, Norman Osborn takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, that will be, it's, it's the Siege of Asgard. So the Siege of Asgard, um, Norman Osborn goes mad and decides that America is going to invade Asgard. Um, Asgard is taking up residence in like uh, Oklahoma, mm. um, in some barren land in Oklahoma, and he just sends in his evil Avengers. He sends in his squad. He renames Shield Hammer, and he sends in his <laughs> Hammer Squad, um, and just starts to. He's gonna 
kill Asgardians and take over Asgard for some reason. Um, and Captain America returns. He, he turns out he did not die. He escaped death. Um, and he leads this kind of army and manages to defeat Norman Osborn. And after the defeat of Norman Osborn... So that's when they all get back together because Cap, Thor and Iron Man are reunited during that battle. Mm. Um, but there's still tension and stuff. After they defeat Norman Osborn and his followers um, and Cap is back, Steve Rogers is called to the White House and the president is like, I made a terrible mistake when I put the Green Goblin in charge <laughs> of national security. Um, could I please hire you, Captain America, to do the job? Uh. And so Steve gets to become... He, he basically becomes the new Nick Fury. Mm. Um, and he runs S.H.I.E.L.D. And he gets rid of the Superhuman Registration Act, which was the the whole basis of the, of the Civil War. Mm. And by doing that, he can bring all the Avengers back together. Um, and it's the start of a new day... And the Avengers are back with with Cap and 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 Tony Stark and Thor, and um, yeah. So the siege brings them back together, and the end of siege is what kind of puts it all back to normal. Lovely. In Wakanda, King Chichala is updated on the current state of affairs by Okoye, head of the Dora Milaje. But as the Black Panther approaches the one known to his people as the White Wolf, Bucky Barnes. Sorry. Uh, presenting Bucky with a new metal arm made from Wakandan technology, the Winter Soldier realises a big fight is on their way. On board, Moore's ship. Moore interrogates Doctor Strange through torture, demanding the Time Stone. Elsewhere in the ship, Stark is surprised to be greeted by Doctor Strange's cape, as well as Spider-Man, who disobeyed his orders. While Stark is angry at his young former protégé, he enlists his help in rescuing Strange. Getting the jump on more, Iron Man and Spider-Man enact a plan inspired by the 1986 movie Aliens, blowing a hole in the side of the ship, causing the room to dis uh, depressurize, sucking more out of the opening before sealing it. Spider-Man prevents Doctor Strange getting sucked into space before Iron Man seals the rupture. Outside, the frozen corpse of Ebony Moore floats away. I love Spider-Man referencing, uh, referring to pop culture like he did in Civil War, let alone one of my favorite films of all time. I got to see it on the big screen um, for Halloween one year when I was like 19 or something. They, oh. they, a bunch of students from my university had a deal with the local um, Odeon in, in, in Hanley um, and was show like once the, once the regular cinema time was over, they would mm. show late night screenings of, of uh, great classic movies. Um, we got to see Alien on Halloween one year. I got to see Back to the Future, Die Hard, oh, Ghostbusters lovely. on the big screen. It was brilliant. That's lovely. Lost Boys. Lost Boys. <laughs> one, Lost Boys was one of the most fun cinema experiences I've ever had because me and my friends had watched it so many times yeah. and we found it so hilarious and we quoted it all the time to each other that we were just like kids and everyone around us must have been like, what's going on with these people? Amazing. Um, I need to rewatch yeah. that film. I need to, to rewatch it. While Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man are now safe from more, they are trapped on his spaceship, which is now stuck on autopilot. Tony Stark, unfortunately, has no way of changing the course of their ship. After Strange presses him for more answers, Tony Stark loses his temper and admits he's been scared of Thanos since the Battle of New York. Doctor Strange responds that protecting the Time Stone outweighs Stark and Parker's lives, as the entire universe depends on it. 
digesting this information, Stark makes Spider-Man an honorary Avenger. So when do, when does Spider-Man join the Avengers in the comic books? Is it because of Thanos or something else? Well, he he's he's worked with them and like he's joined up with them a few times for for big things like secret secret wars and stuff like that. Mm. Um but it's not it's not really Thanos. A few months before the Infinity Gauntlet, there's an issue of the Avengers where Cap's put together a brand new team of Avengers and he asks Spider-Man to join the team. Um but Spidey he just like aside from the fact he doesn't feel worthy um and he he doesn't feel like he belongs there and he's a loner and all of that mm. he, spider-man never feels like a superhero he feels like an outcast all the time so he's all yeah. like but also he's like i can't handle this job of being an avenger and doing all the avenger stuff that you need me to do whilst i've got an actual job and spider-man <laughs> and and like a personal life so he turns it down and cat makes him a reserve member, which mm. is a thing that's existed in the Avengers comics for quite a while. Um, they give him uh, a mem- so there's Avengers have these membership cards mm. back before mobile phones were really a thing. The high tech thing was it was it was the size of a credit card. It was your membership card that got you past like police and all sorts of problems like that you could flash a membership card and go yeah. avenger coming through but also it was a communicator yeah it had a little yes. screen that would light up and you could communicate with the avengers it would alert you when there was danger and problems did they have that in earth's mightiest heroes i swear they had that yeah the they did yeah, yeah i remember seeing that so as a reserve member it's basically like you're not you're not required to perform the job of being an avenger um, but if we have a big problem and we need you or someone's sick or whatever, or you need us and you see a problem, use the card, call you. Um, so that doesn't really count as proper member. Um, it's not until 2005 that he joins the Avengers. Um, the Avengers had been disbanded because Wanda went nuts and started killing them and blew up Avengers Mansion. Um, <laughs> and then Tony Stark had run out of money at the time, and he was like, "Hey, I can't fund the Avengers anymore. I can't afford all these salaries. I can't afford to rebuild the mansion. So unless someone else has got some money, the Avengers are done." Um, and then there's a Prison Break, New Avengers issue one, a supervillain Prison Break, um, and a whole bunch of. Like heroes end up on this prison by coincidence. Like some are going there to stop it, some are already there, and so we get this like ad hoc team of Spider-Man who's like catches a ride on a on a helicopter because it's a it doesn't, that doesn't matter. You don't need to know that. Uh, Spider-Man, Captain America, yeah. Iron Man, Luke Cage, Daredevil, and Spider Woman. They all find themselves fighting the villains, saving the day. But forty plus villains have escaped into the wild. So Cap is like, this was our problem. We need to deal with this. And so he he goes around putting, trying to convince all these members of the team to come together. Um, And he tracks down Spidey and he's like, you turned us down once before. We need you. And Spider-Man's like, to be honest with you, Cap right now, an Avengers salary, medical insurance, a place to live, that would really help me out right now. And Cap would go, oh, oh no, it's a new day, son. We're broke. There's no money this time. (laughs) (laughs) The one time Spidey finally joins the Avengers, there's no prestige, there's no mansion to live in, there's no Tony Stark salary. The old Parker look strikes again. Oh, that's wonderful. I was going to ask, uh, what's the the pay like for the Avengers? You could just quit his job, but I'm glad... 
I'm glad I, I, I waited for you to tell me because that, that was just funny. I think the previous time, I think it might have been a consideration as well. Nobody on the Avengers knew his secret identity. Mm. And he would have had to like reveal it to them. And yeah. it would have to go into a file because in 91, I think the Avengers are have a UN charter. Like they're part of the United Nations. So it would need to be or the CIA are involved. So that was probably a consideration as well. Whereas this this team's got no affiliations. Like, there's no government involved. You don't have to take your mask off for anyone. We all know who you are, but whatever, dude. Back to the film. On Thanos' ship, the tyrant tries to win over his wayward daughter, but Gamora expresses utter hatred towards Thanos, damning him for taking her away from her home planet and her biological mother, but Thanos argues that he saved Gamora from a lifetime of poverty on a planet on the brink of collapse. Since Thanos murdered half the population of her home planet, he claims that since his unforgivable acts, the inhabitants know nothing of poverty and live in a stable and plentiful society. To Thanos, his awful act of half-genocide was a sacrifice worth paying to ensure the prosperity of Gamora's people. It's not half-genocide, just to let you know. Just because you don't kill... An entire oh, population of people. It's still a genocide. It's still gen- I don't know why I wrote that. As a... <laughs> yeah, because you. Yeah, I, I understand. Because you're, you're thinking, you're thinking hard. Yeah. Gamora calls Thanos insane, but Thanos is unmoved, claiming that if life is left unchecked, all life will end, and he is the only one in the universe to act on it. There we go. There's Thanos. There, the mainstream face of eco-fascism. Yeah. Him and Reisegul. Reisegul. <laughs> Surely we should use our money and our resources to make sure there's enough food. No, let's just kill half of them. I've assembled the most powerful mystical objects in the galaxy. Could you not give us bread and water? Mm, sounds like a lot of work to me. Think I'll just kill everyone. <laughs> so we finally get Thanos's uh, reasoning and philosophy behind what he's doing. Is it like this in the comics? Because you did mention that he's he can be quite an interesting character in the comics. Like, does he want to uh, the universe want to do the universe a favor per se by reducing the population? No, he's a simp. He's, he's a simp. A simp. He is hopelessly, pathetically infatuated with death. In the Marvel comics, death manifests as a, as a, as a person sometimes and, and sometimes mainly as a mysterious woman in a robe. And mm. Thanos has been obsessed with her for his, most of his life. And he sees murder and mayhem as a way of paying tribute to his love. Like, that's the way he would tip her on OnlyFans. <laughs> It'd be with a body instead of uh, some money. Um, so death gives Thanos this mission originally when she resurrects him to kill half of all living things as tribute to death, the ultimate tribute. Mm. All Half of all life will be gone. So he seeks out the Infinity Stones to impress a chick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, who, who here hasn't wanna, committed uh, cosmic genocide just in, for the chance of a kiss? She won't speak to him. Death will not speak to Thanos because he's so far beneath her. So she's she has uh, agents and servants that speak on her behalf. She won't even look at him. Oof. She won't even look at him. So he realizes he is an ant compared to an eternal force of nature. So in order to be her equal, he steals the Infinity Stones and makes himself an omnipotent god. The center <laughs> of all reality, right? And then he's like, she'll finally look at me. 
<laughs> She'll finally <laughs> speak to me. Pathetic. But this is so good. When he becomes God, death still won't speak to him because now he's a superior. And it would not be right for death to consider herself the equal of God. So he's like, I still can't get her to talk to me. So he tries all these things to impress death, but finally realizes the um, the killing half of, of, of all living beings, like he originally said he would do, might be enough to win her affections. Is he, so is... it's so, he's so pathetic and so powerful and he doesn't see all his own mental like when jim when jim starlin said that he was inspired by these psycho psychological books he really really was because he writes he writes so many layers of self-doubt and ego and and all of this into thanos it's great i, I like it it's, there's some, it just makes it feel like he spends a lot of time on 4chan though like ah why would it like a- yeah but he also has a but he's also powerful and he's confident and he can he can handle anything in the universe except for the woman he loves or the being that he loves, right? Yeah, like man. anything anything outside of her, he's got no problem with. Mm. Um, so there is, it, but it's and it's lay and 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 how it plays out at the end of the story is so good. You've got to join us on Patreon for that. I'm really looking forward to that bonus episode. Really am. Expressing disappointment in Gamora for lying about knowing the location of the Soul Stone, Thanos leads her to the torture cha- to a torture chamber where Nebula, Gamora's sister, is being held in restraints and her cybernetic parts dismantled, causing her immense pain. Increasing Nebula's pain, a distraught Gamora claims she doesn't know where the Soul Stone is, but the next second, Thanos stops his torture and places a recording Nebula took of Gamora, admitting she knows where the location is. Torturing Nebula again, Gamora cracks and reveals the location, Vormire. Torturing your own daughter is very intense. Does does Thanos do anything like this to Nebula in the original stories? Yes, Nebula is not his daughter in the comics. Right. While he was dead, a blue-skinned chick started tarting around the galaxy as a <laughs> deadly pirate and terrorist. And... To increase her standing in the world of terror and menace and murder, she claimed to be the granddaughter of Thanos, Mm. based on nothing. Um, (laughs) So when um, Thanos is resurrected by Mistress Death, um, he seeks out Nebula. And when he has ultimate power, the cruelest thing he does is use it to torture Nebula. He burns her alive to the point of death, but then uses the power of the the gauntlet to keep her on the permanent brink of death so that the pain of burning alive never stops, never ends. She is constantly experiencing that moment of death. She is a withered person burnt white husk of a person a living zombie with like an eye hanging out she's just a a constant state of burning um that's what he and he keeps her at his side or or in his sight all the time so he can always enjoy what he's done to her i think that's more brutal than the film that's awful yes yes as thor rocket and Groot approach nidavalia 
Rocket questions Thor over his backstory. Nidavalier. Nidavalier. Thor que- Rocket questions Thor over his backstory and his plan to take down Thanos, expressing some doubt over Thor's chances of winning a second fight against the tyrant. Afterwards, Rocket provides Thor a new eye after he lost his previously. Arriving at Nidavalier, Thor is despondent to see the Cosmic Forge lying dormant. As Thor, Rocket and Groot explore Nidavalier, they spot a prototype for Thanos' Infinity Gauntlet. Realising they might be in danger, they are suddenly attacked by a giant dwarf, Eatris. But the towering figure stops when he recognises Thor, yelling at the Asgardian that his people were supposed to protect them. Eatris reveals that Thanos coerced him and his fellow dwarves into creating the Infinity Gauntlet. Knowing it was wrong, Eatris went went with it for the safety of his people but as soon as the gauntlet was complete Thanos killed the other 300 dwarves and severed Eatris's hands preventing him from working again back on Thanos's ship after Nebula's cybernetic parts are restored she knocks out a Chitauri guard and makes an escape contacting the rest of the guardians she tells them they need to meet her on Titan Thanos's homeworld Peter Dinklage, uh, second uh, Marvel appearance after playing Bolivar Trask in Days of Future Past. That's right, yeah. Yeah, love him. Absolutely love that guy. So we're finding out uh, exactly how Thor's hammer was forged and created the MCU. Is it pretty much like this in the comic books? I know it's Uru Metal, but is it a cosmic forge? It's... I don't know if we ever... There are some similarities. I don't know if we ever see the forge. Um, Yeah. there's more mysticism to Asgard, I think, in the mm. comics. In, I think in what, what we learned in Ragnarok is that Asgard's just another planet, which I didn't like. Um, <laughs> and you can fly there in a spaceship. I didn't like that at all. Yeah. Um, that's not, I, I think sometimes it happens in the comics. I'm not really, I don't like that at all. I like it to be a mystical realm you yeah. get to via a literal rainbow bridge. So in the comics... Um, Ages and ages and ages and ages and ages ago, there was a moon made of 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 rock and metal called Uru, Ooh. and it was shattered during a battle between two elder gods, and one large piece of Uru crashed into Nidavalir, and was claimed by the the dwarves of that realm, hmm. and they bestowed that chunk of Uru. Um, Uru Metal to Odin as a gift. Um, the recently crowned All Father at the time, Odin, had saved their realm from a, a troll invasion. And as thanks, the dwarves of Nivdelavir gifted the All Father with the, this this large chunk of Uru. Um, it was like, great, cool, a bit of rock and metal. And then sometime later, Asgard was threatened by an unimaginably powerful cosmic storm called the God Tempest. And it was about to rip through Asgard and destroy everything. And Odin battled the storm, literally battled it, for days, weeks, months to defend his kingdom. And eventually, when the storm was weakened enough, Odin trapped the God Tempest inside the chunk of mystic Uru metal. And from there, Odin ordered the dwarves of Nidavalar to forge him a hammer, Mjolnir. Um, it was called, uh, Itri is involved, but also Brock and Buri. Um, they have what's called the Godmaker Forge. Um, but I don't know if it's. No, they do. It is the heat of a. It is something to do with a star. It is they use the the heat of a star to 
be hot enough to manipulate the uru. Yeah. So, um, and the, apparently the process, the star exploded in the process. So they can right. never do it, forge another one. And it um, almost destroyed Midgard. And that is the um, ex- that is the event that killed the dinosaurs uh, <laughs> 65 million years ago uh, as Mjolnir eventually crashed to Earth. Folks, we told you this is going to be the biggest episode ever, the biggest MVM show we've ever done, and that means it's not just two parts, it's three parts. Join us after another break. Bye.